It's officially Marketing a Talk. Marketing O'Clock's monthly roundtable discussion episode. Join our team and a panel of experts to dive deep into a specific digital marketing topic. Don't forget, you can catch our famous Friday news show each and every Friday morning at youtube.marketingoclock.com or wherever you consume your podcast. Hey there, I'm Christine Zernheld, aka Shep. And it is officially Marketing a Talk. Today we have a special SEO focused episode for you because the spring slash summer of 2021 has really been one for the books in terms of Google Core updates. So we are joined by some very special people to break down all of these changes for you. First, we have a familiar face partner at Cypress North and Marketing O'Clock co-host, Mr. Organic himself, Greg Finn is here. Hello, Greg. Hi, thanks. I think this is the first time you've called me special. I appreciate it. <laughs> thanks for being here. You are special. And we are also so lucky to be joined once again by 2019 BFF of the show, SEO consultant at G Squared Interactive, Glenn Gabe. Hello, Glenn. Hey, what's up? Great to be here. Thanks so much for joining us again. And finally, we are thrilled to be joined for the very first time by Senior Director of SEO and Head of Organic Research at Amsif Digital, Lily Ray. Hello, Lily. Welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So and before- wait, Shep, is she a new guest or not new guest? I didn't get that. Mm, She's nice new. One. <laughs> nice one. Thanks. <laughs> So before we get into the high level rundown of all the summer updates, I just want to point out the obvious and say that Lily and Glenn, Lily and Glenn are really the experts here. Greg knows a lot about his stuff. He's our SEO reporter on the show, but Lily and Glenn have done extensive research on these updates. So Greg and I have a ton of questions for you. We'll both be asking them and we're so excited to get your thoughts. So for some background, most of you who are listening know that the spring and summer of 21 has been a truly unprecedented algor algorithmic times. So if you haven't annotated yet, Greg and I are just going to run through the list of all of the updates with dates for you. So if you're in GA, you can annotate as we talk. So here we go. Ready, Greg? Ready. Okay. So first on April 8th, 2021, we had the product reviews update, AKA Lady Prue. Next up, we had June 2nd, the core update, which we will talk about the June 2021 core update. Then on June 15th, the page experience update starts rolling out. On June 23rd, the spam update part one began. And if that wasn't enough for you, June 28th, spam update part two. On July 1st, we had the July core update, not to be confused with the June core update. On July 26th, we had the link span update, but this took until August 24th to fully roll out. And then finally on September 2nd, the page experience update had finished rolling out. So make sure to annotate that as well. That was a long one. Yes. So that was a lot. So before we get into each of these and the specifics, I just want to know, I'll start with you, Lily. How do you even begin to go about analyzing all these core updates and spam updates amidst all these other overarching page experience updates? Where do you start? Yeah. So for certain types of updates, like the broad core updates, it's easier to analyze the impacts because if you've been impacted, it's usually pretty significant and it's like on a specific date or within maybe like a week or two weeks as they're rolling it out. Um, some of the other updates that we'll talk about, like the page experience update took a lot longer to roll out. So it's much more difficult to pinpoint if you were impacted by that. Um, but using tools like Systrix, for example, which annotate when a core update happens, it's pretty clear. You can see visibility changes even to the day that it rolls out. And for a lot of our clients that are affected, it's like you wake up and you have a 60% increase or decrease in traffic. So it's oh pretty clear if you've been impacted. Yeah. Yeah. Two very different mornings there. Yep. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so it seemed that um, a lot of what happened this spring and summer, there was so much at play in any given month. What are some of the methods for figuring out what ranking fluctuations can be attributed to which specific update, Glenn? Yeah, sure. So Lily kind of hit on the, the core update piece. So core updates make the earth shake, right? So these are massive updates that typically within 24 to 36 hours, you see significant movement across sites, right? So sites are surging, sites are dropping. Um, we saw that a little differently with the June and July core updates, but it was still within a few days each. <clears throat> the other updates, I mean, anytime Google pushes an update that's going to take an extended period of time, you are not going to be able to really identify major impact, especially because you had the page experience update rolling out um, 
and it started in between two major core updates with make, which make the earth shake. Um, and then it rolled out over two and a half months. Um, on top of it, and we're gonna get to this later, it was a very, very lightweight signal um, and ranking update. So uh, most sites really couldn't identify much of what was going on. But from a core update standpoint, typically within the first few days, you're going to see a lot of, um, a lot of movement um, if you're impacted by these updates, and then you can start to dig in. And I, and I believe we're gonna cover more about how to actually do that. But with the core updates, you can really start to see quickly with some of these up, other updates that were either took a long time or were smaller updates and don't impact the web in general, um, they're gonna be very hard to identify. So Lily, is there anything webmasters should do differently when these updates are rolling out quickly like they have been this summer? So I think the first reaction for a lot of webmasters is to act kind of impetuously and make a lot of big changes, which is the last thing you should do. Um, I know Glenn talks about this a lot, but like don't do a site migration during core updates. Um, don't replatform your website. Don't migrate a ton of URLs. Um, don't get rid of a whole section of your website. And the reason for that is just because it's too many variables to analyze when you're analyzing the data. So I think as much as you can just stay the course and focus on producing good content and not do anything too crazy, um, it should make it a lot easier to analyze the impacts. Okay, so no site migrations, Glenn. Anything else you should or shouldn't do in times like this? Yeah, actually on that note, I just wanna say that there is actually a site that reached out to me that got hit really hard during uh, one of the two core updates. And literally they had done a migration starting about three days into the update. And it, it was just like, it was, it was very, very hard to determine what was going on for them. I mean, they didn't, once they understood more about core updates, they're like, wow, this is like the worst timing ever. Um, but when you're analyzing updates, definitely don't have knee jerk reactions. First of all, for, for the most part, and we'll talk more about this soon with the product reviews update, you need another broad core update in order to recover, right? And you also need to do typically significant improvement in quality over the long term in order to recover. So nothing you're going to do in the first few days of a core update rolling out are going to change anything. Um, so once I think once companies understand how these updates roll out, how they work, and how Google's looking at everything overall, um, they get a much better feel and they, they don't feel like they have to start really doing a lot of things in the short term. So I would say the biggest thing is like Willie said, don't, don't have any knee jerk reactions. Um, hopefully you're not doing any major migrations, URL migrations or site migrations or anything like that. Um, and then, you know, take a step back and really start to analyze the situation. Awesome. So as we alluded to earlier, this all started out with the page experience update. And again, this rolled out from June 15th to September 2nd. If you haven't annotated yet, this one had so much lead up. Everyone was talking about it. I'm excited to talk to you guys about how it actually shook out. So Greg, as our lead SEO reporter here on Marketing O'Clock, can you please give us a quick overview of what the page experience update was supposed to be? And Glenn and Lily, uh, please fact check him. Make sure everything <laughs> I need it. I need it. All right. So the quick elevator pitch, which would be the worst elevator uh, ride in history, is the fact that this update revolves around signals. A set of signals about perceived user experience and interaction. So really beyond the information value on a page, which you hear a lot with core updates specifically. Um, and instead of a traditional update, this is, which is again, loosely based around what is on a page. This includes a few different set of uh, metrics really, um, and then other uh, factors. So some of those metrics are a core web vitals, which you've heard uh, you know, a metric uh, ear ton worth of that in, here recently. And those three are the largest contentful paint or LCP, not to be confused with ICP. And it measures loading essentially. And then first input delay or FID is something that measures interactivity. And the cumulative layout shift or CLS measures stability. So whether or not things are jumping around on a page. And it's beyond just those core web vitals, although that seemed like that's like all everybody was talking about was just core web vital this, core web vital that. And it goes into mobile friendliness with this kind of like a, a throwback to be like, hey, mobile apocalypse, mobile getting all that, make sure that you have a mobile site. Um, so that's in this update as well to make sure it's something that anybody can access on any phone. Um, also, HTTPS, so your site should be secure, that that goes into the page experience update. And inter, um, intrusive interstitials, which is always a tongue twister for me, but making sure that you don't have ads or I guess even perceived ads uh, above the fold here 
on your site. And Google has a great example in their developers tool of what is um, intrusive on there and a whole slew of, of, of examples there. So you can tell for yourself if you are giving people a bad experience. And at the beginning, there was safe browsing in there as well, which was removed like halfway through, right about like July, I, I think, or maybe early August. Um, do And I think this sort of makes sense and everybody can get into it. Like if you have malware or you have an attack on your site and you your site isn't safe, should you take a, a, a hit for it? And, and so that initially was sit in the page experience update and then was pulled out of it. And then also most importantly, at least in my mind, is that Google said, they intend to update the page experience signals on an annual basis. So, you know, just because this is what it is today, make sure you're still having the best experiences, sort of. That's just me adding it in. And I guess we're on like the 200th floor because that was a long elevator ride. Let me off. I know, seriously. Me too. Okay, Lily. So when you first thought uh, heard about this months and months ago, were there any specific elements? Was it page experience? Was it that tongue twister? Was there anything that stuck out to you as the most important for what people should think about? So when they first announced it, I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, there's new metrics that they'll be focusing on, the core web vital metrics. That's obviously something we should think about incorporating into our page speed strategy, which was something that we already were doing a lot of with clients. So it didn't necessarily change the direction of what we were doing already. It just kind of added these new metrics to compare, you know, performance against and to improve upon. Um, but then there was one aspect of the page experience update that gets less coverage, which is what Google did with AMP, um, which is basically that they dropped the AMP requirement for top stories, which I thought was a pretty big deal and actually did impact a lot of the clients that we work with. And they also got rid of the AMP icon in search. So that doesn't get talked about as much, but I do think that was a kind of important aspect of the update as well. Yes, welcome change. And Glenn, this was initially supposed to be a tiebreaker, but then it was announced that it held a heavier weight. Is that something that you're seeing? Yes, yeah, so no, definitely not. Um, and actually John Mueller uh, came out after that um, and basically said that nothing's changed. So that whole report on that it, it had more weight was actually not really true. It was just John kind of saying that, you know, you know, it's still a thing. It's not necessarily a tiebreaker. It might be around it, whatever it may be. Just explaining that is a ranking factor, but uh, bigger picture, this really didn't have much impact at all. I mean, I can't tie any specific surges or drops to this, I think. Um, and really, if you go back to the very beginning, uh, Google explained from the very beginning, this was going to be a lightweight factor. Um, it was going to be like HTTPS, right? So I was able to get on a call with members of the Chrome team and members of the search team that were working on Core Web Vitals when this was announced. So Aleda was also on that call. And we were both jumping in and saying, will this have teeth, right? And the team was very clear that great content is still going to beat uh, performance and speed and everything like that. So literally from the very beginning, they were saying that. But a lot of people didn't want to hear that yeah. and really made it into something that it wasn't, unfortunately. Google, um, just like with HTTPS, wanted to change the web for the better. Um, and that's great. Listen, I've been talking about negative and poor user experience and the impact during broad core updates forever, literally dating back to Panda updates. Um, so when this was first announced, I was really excited, especially when it came to like loading jank, uh, CLS issues pages, I was helping companies that had been impacted by Panda and core updates that you'd load the page and things would move around and people would be clicking ads when they didn't mean to. So when that was announced, I was psyched, but you can really start to see what was going on with, it was gonna be very lightweight. So did they improve the web? You bet, tons of sites worked on core web vitals, improved speed, improved performance, cut down CLS, et cetera. The problem is that rankings aren't going to necessarily follow, right? You mm -hmm. still need great content. You still need a great site overall. And just having strong core web vitals. And, and like Greg said, it's more than that, right? It's mobile pop-up algorithm. It's uh, mobile friendly, HTTPS, et cetera. Um, that's, that's a lightweight factor at best. So I haven't seen, and believe me, I have dug in. I have not seen any major impact from the page experience update, but you can see massive impact during the core updates. And on that note, if I could add one more thing, uh, John Mueller even said during a webmaster hangout when someone was like, you know, we've been majorly impacted by the page experience update during June or July. And, and he cut in and was like, if you've been, if you see significant movement, it's not from the page experience update. It's probably from one of the two core updates. Yeah. Just showing you how those are really powerful and the page experience update is more lightweight. 
almost like they just gave everyone like too much time to talk about it and get themselves worked up and then everyone just freaked out yeah <laughs> and it's it's really unfortunate and and listen i've had so i've helped uh, you know continually help a lot of different companies and the, the worst thing is when you get on a call with like a ceo or someone running a site or whatever it may be and they're like we have great core web vital that we've worked on this forever and this is great nothing's changed in this they didn't understand that it's lightweight number one and that number two it's, and John Mueller explained this too, it's very separate from core updates. The page experience signal has nothing to do with core updates. So, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot of education going on now after the fact as right. nothing majorly has changed. Yeah. So Lily, the, the nature of this update, it could effectively impact all verticals. So if you're wondering if your site is good enough, who should really be worried about this? Most egregious offenders or should anyone that doesn't have green all the way across core web vitals be shaken in their boots? <laughs> I think you have to put it in perspective with the other strategies that you're focused on to Glenn's point. Like if you don't have great content, I would prioritize that above core web vitals <laughs> in general. But like if you have really horrible scores and really egregious performance and people can't interact with your website well and there's horrible CLS issues and everything, of course you should prioritize that. But you know, if you're already passing the core web vitals thresholds or you're close to them, I don't know that that's where I would focus a lot of my strategy if you're compromising things like improving website architecture or content quality or anything like that. Um, so it's just a matter of prioritization, but like, uh, you know, if you're an e-commerce website, you should focus on it because not only does it potentially improve SEO rankings, but it can improve conversions and, and sales and user experience as well. So I don't know that it's industry specific, but I think the moral of the story is the, the worse off you are, probably the more important it's going to be for your business. You really hit on something which is really, really important. Speed and performance, it's really good for your site overall, for conversion, right? For user experience, so on and so forth. So that part, you should absolutely be doing it. People that are doing it just for the SEO benefit are probably going to be very unhappy. And one thing, if you listen to the show regularly, I, I mentioned a few times, um, a lot of times you can tell how important something really is based off of adoption and, and especially with uh, Google specifically and their new flagship phone. That's a, it's a new one from the last time I, I used this example is the pixel six and the pixel six page. You know, if you were to try to have a good um, LCP that's under 2.5 seconds, that pixel page, their number one product that they, they're creating, I just ran the report, it's over that, it's 3.1 and is showing um, a performance of 42 on the across the entire page. So the largest contentful paint is 5.7 seconds. And again, Google says good is under 2.5, needs improvement is under four, and anything over four is poor. So this is a poor score on their, again, number one product page out there. And overall, if you look at the overall performance, it is red with 42 when I just ran this year now. So again, make sure that your site works first and foremost, and that the content's good and that people want to go ahead and actually purchase before you make drastic changes. Crazy. So this took two and a half months to roll out. Glenn, do you look at this differently from a traditional core update because of the length of the rollout? Uh, definitely. First of all, the impact is not even close, right? And second of all, um, yeah, I mean, you know, core updates usually roll out within two week period, a lot of volatility, usually in the very beginning within the first few days, then you see maybe tremors along the way where definitely some sites can surge back or drop. Um, but then it kind of ends when you have something that's two and a half months. And it reminds me a lot of when Google, um, had that extended rollout with Panda, I think it was 4.2, um, where it rolled out slowly over a very long period of time, months, and no one saw any impact. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's very, it's very, very hard to, to determine impact with something like that. And again, core updates, lots of volatility, short period of time, something like the page experience update, which is a lightweight signal to begin with, and then extended over two and a half months, it's gonna be very hard to determine. Especially by the way, with the summer, with all the updates, like you listed before, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, which one was it? And you could tell with the core updates because it's right when it rolled out. So we are going to get to those bigger updates. I just have a couple more questions about page experience. So Lily, something that's different about this compared to traditional core updates is that SEOs don't necessarily have to wait for the next update with this. There's stuff that they could do to their site right now to improve. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I mean, like the way we structure it at my agency and on my team is it's something that's happening in the background, especially for sites that would benefit the most from it while we're addressing other site-wide issues and while we're addressing content quality. So I think, yes, you can continue chipping away at it, at it and you can potentially see the impacts to Glenn's point, maybe not from a ranking standpoint, but from a performance standpoint and conversion rates and time on site and everything like that. So I think, again, as much as it's something that would move the needle for your business because you have these egregious scores, you should keep chipping away at it regardless of what's happening with core updates and everything. Um, but yeah, it's going to be very hard to measure exactly what the impacts are. And it's definitely not, not the type of thing where it's like, we've achieved all you know green core web vitals and we're seeing this massive ranking boost. So it's just something to keep an eye on. But again, I would prioritize it just based on how big of a signal it is and how much it matters to your business. Definitely. So Glenn, what tools are out there to help measure how well your site is performing? Uh, yeah, with the with the page experience update, it's based on crux status. So that's real user data. <clears throat> so really in Google Search Console, that, that's a great way to go, right? Because you're going to have that information there. It's based on the 75th percentile over 28 days. So you can start to see some sites will have to wait for the 28 days. Others will not, um, you know, if they have a lot of page views going to those pages. Um, so I would definitely do that. And then there are, you know, lab tools as well. So the big difference is crux data, which is real user data, which is really what's used. And then um, lab tools like page, you know, Lighthouse, PageSpeed Insights, et cetera, um, that you could actually go into and really start to fine tune specific pages. That's great for like local testing. But again, Google's, uh, you know, on record explaining that they're using crux. So it's based upon people actually visiting your site, um, which there's a ton of confusion. I can't tell you how many times I heard these questions to Google's John Mueller during Webmaster Hangouts while this thing is you know, about to roll out with people confused about, hey, PageSpeed page Insights says this, why, why is it showing up like this in Google Search Console, not understanding the difference between lab tools um, and Cruxstat. Lily, do you see page experience impacting web design and the way people create websites in the future? I mean, I would hope so. This got so much buzz and visibility, like even beyond the SEO world that I would hope that it has that type of impact. Um, you know, I think a lot of the times business owners have to weigh their objectives. In some cases, I've seen sites where like that, you know, the CLS or whatever is that's because they need that type of implementation because that's how they make money off ads. And it's difficult to convince them to change that because that's just how their businesses make money. So um, I think, yes, it's probably, you know, my brother's a web developer, for example, he's aware of these types of concerns and, and building fast sites and sites that perform well, but it always has to be uh, measured against what, what's the larger business goals. And a lot of times what the executive has the final say and how the layout looks right. on the site. And one thing I remember we covered back in January was the smashingmagazine.com redesign, where it used to be this kind of big, bold, it was very red. And went to, at one point, it was very image heavy. Then it turned very red and monsters everywhere. It was really cool. And they came out with an article that said, how we improved smashing mag performance. And in the quick summary for this, again, it's a design specific publication, they wrote, in this article, we'll take a close look at some of the changes made on this very site, blah, 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 to optimize the web performance and improve the core web vitals metrics. And to me, I look at this new design, and I think they went a little too far the other direction, just personally. They took out the majority of imagery above the fold. They used to have really big uh, images and, and kind of some, some vivid colors and cool buttons and really nice design stuff. And I think they went too far the other way. You can go check it out in archive.org if you want to see the previous iteration of Smashing Magazine. And again, we'll see how, how, how it all works out for them, but just don't, don't get rid of all your images and don't go crazy, everybody with this. Like make it good for the user. It's about the experience. You want people to have a good time on the site. Yeah, and we'll show examples on the YouTube video too. Okay, so we have talked about page experience. I really hope you guys don't have to talk about it again, but I'm not optimistic for you. <laughs> so <laughs> right at the onset of the page experience update were the June and July updates. So let's go back to Greg here for a quick explanation of what and why we had the two updates. All right. So back on June 2nd, Google's Danny Sullivan announced they were releasing a broad core update as they do several times a year in the name, the June 2021 core update. So now, this creative. Was, yes. I don't know where they got that from. But this was a bit abnormal because in that same tweet, Danny said some of the planned improvements for the June update weren't quite ready. So the rest of the updates will follow in a July core update. 
And so June core update was the 2nd through the 12th of June. And then the July core update was July 1st to the 12th. So uh, again, annotate for that, but also correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the first time I can recall one of the updates ever being split. And then also like the fact that it's so close and you're just like, oh, instead of waiting, you know, uh, what, 18 days, we're just going to split it into two. So can anybody else yeah, recall? I, I, I don't really remember them doing that. Now they've only been announcing core updates for a relatively short period of time. They were going on before that. So for all we know that was going on. I, I know I've written about uh, unconfirmed updates that were very close together and stuff like that. So for, you know, for all we know, that was something like that, but confirmed wise, this is really the first time that that's happened in my, from what I can remember. Yeah, and with that, what everyone did after they announced the page experience update, like they probably won't ever give us that much notice ever again. Like <laughs> we've lost the opportunity. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, honestly, I think that if they wanna change the web again for the better, they will give people a lot of time because yeah. You know, um, you know, people did need a lot of time to actually improve these. I just wish from the beginning, first of all, that they didn't use the word core and core web vitals. That confused a lot of people and thought people it was like, uh, thought it was like a core core update, which it's not. Um, and then uh, also I wish, uh, they were pretty clear that it was lightweight, but it just didn't get through to people. <laughs> you know, like John said it a million times and, and uh, Martin said it a million times. So, you know, what are you gonna do? So Lily, from your analysis of June and July, how similar were these updates in your eyes? So I don't know that I would call them similar per se, except for that, to Glenn's point, they're earth shattering when core updates happen. So they were both pretty earth shattering. <laughs> like visibility changes were very significant for a lot of different sites. Um, but I didn't see too much like consistency in terms of who was affected. That makes sense. Like, oh, this type of site was affected in June and this type in July. Uh, but I did see some examples of sites that either saw like maybe like a slight performance increase in June and then that was exacerbated in July or like a, you know, a decline in June that was then flipped in July, which they said could happen in some fringe cases. So I don't know that the updates were similar per se, but maybe in terms of how impactful they were, they were mm -hmm. both pretty big. So Glenn, did you see any notable reversals from June to July from your analysis? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was something that I really was keen on on focusing on and, and seeing what we could uh, pick up on that front. And I have a, a whole spreadsheet. I mean, <laughs> multiple spreadsheets full with domains that were impacted. And I know Lily has a bunch as well. Um, and, I, and there are a number of them that saw reversals, right? Or partial reversals, surging in June, coming back down in July, maybe not as far or vice versa. Um, very hard to determine with any core update. They're looking at so many factors over an extended period of time. It's very hard to say X, Y, and Z changed or whatever it may be, right? So, um, and Google's on record explaining that recent changes aren't really going to impact you for a core update. So for example, a site saying, hey, we changed everything two weeks ago, and that wouldn't be what, why you were hit by a core update. But yeah, there were a number of sites that uh, saw reversals and some complete reversals, which was fascinating to see. Lily, can you identify any winners or losers from these updates in terms of websites or verticals or anything that jumped out to you at all? Yeah, so that's what I try to do when the updates happen. And to Glenn's point, it's nearly impossible to do this because I'm working with a data set of you know a few thousand domains, but this is impacting trillions of different pages on the internet. So it's just a small sample size of what we're what I'm analyzing. But during the June update, one thing I noticed was that a lot more dictionary sites were ranking more prominently. And that was, I thought, pretty interesting because in Google's search quality guidelines, they made an update last year where they said to the search quality evaluators, if you think something should have a definition appear, then the you know dictionary site meets the needs of users better. So I was just wondering, like maybe the June update was a result of that, where more queries kind of uh, resulted in dictionary sites ranking a little bit higher. So that was one thing. And then I've also noticed, and I noticed this last year as well, that as a result of the July core update, it seems that a lot of very high authority domains are ranking in very prominent positions right now. So things like the CDC and the FDA and government websites. Um, you know, sites that are talking about COVID that are very, very trusted sites, for example, 
might be outranking people like, uh, you know, other health publishers who just kind of write about topics, but aren't necessarily breaking the information or breaking that news. So that's just one thing I've noticed. I've also noticed that with e-commerce as well, with the July core update, and I think we'll talk about the product review update, but it seems like right now there's a little bit more visibility for e-commerce retailers, whereas a few months ago, or maybe before the product review update, a lot of um, affiliate sites or product review sites were ranking more prominently for some of those transactional keywords. Greg, do you have any winners or losers that jumped out to you? Um, yeah, can I go with AMSIV Digital and uh, G Squared Interactive? Because <laughs> Lily has a fantastic two posts. One is Google's July 2021 core updates, winners, losers analysis, and another one of winners and losers, losers of Google's June 2021 core updates. So you can check that out. And then Glenn has a very thorough post called Google's July 2021 broad core update, rapid fire insights from the summer of two core algorithm updates. And you'll get way more breakdown um, on those three blog posts. You guys are, our, one of you are our must read marketing article of the week, like every other week, the go-to <laughs> for SEO. Okay, so moving on from June into and July updates, let's move back a little further to April 2021, as Lily just alluded to, to the product reviews update. This wasn't a core update, but it had a big impact on some sites. Glenn, can you tell us a bit about this? Yeah, so this was really big. It was bigger than I thought it was going to be, actually. It, it almost looked core update-like for a lot of different uh, product review sites and actually impacted a bunch of sites outside of product reviews. Um, which was like collateral impact is what I was calling it in my post about it because I wrote a post detailing all, all my findings. Um, so basically Google was saying that when, when people are looking for product reviews, they don't want to find thin, lightweight affiliate reviews, right? So, you know, uh, everybody's come across them. It's an image, it's two sentences with a link to Amazon, right? So a lot of those sites were ranking very well and making a lot of money off of that. And Google kind of um, upped the game there and basically said, we're really looking for unique, valuable, insightful information. Sorry, that's, that's Google. <laughs> um, so looking for really good, um, insightful information uh, from experts or enthusiasts in a specific category, right? Um, so when this rolled out, I mean, for some sites, it was, again, core update-like. I mean, surging by 60 or 70%, dropping by 70 or 80%. Some sites literally went out of business. I mean, there are a few people that contacted me, showed me their trending. They basically flatlined and they gave up. They, they oh were like, this, this is how I earn a living and I can't do it anymore and I'm moving on. And, and to be honest, some of them, the sites weren't terrible. It's just, you know, this is an algorithm update and there's going to be impact sometimes more aggressive in certain areas. Um, so anyway, the really interesting thing, especially because we were just talking about core updates, is that some sites actually recovered from previous core updates during the product reviews update. So Google had explained more like they're looking at the site overall, they're looking at very specific sections. So again, that, that basically screams what they do for core updates where they're looking at overall site quality, right? So um, we saw Discover be impacted across sites. We saw sites surge and drop like during core updates. And we saw some sites recover from previous core updates during the product reviews update. So it's really a fascinating, for, especially for me, and I'm sure for Lily too, that for people that focus on core updates, the product reviews update was fascinating because it was like a mini core update or so. Now, I wouldn't even call it that, it was bigger than that. It was just really big for sites in that niche. Um, and also, you know, I spoke about collateral improvement and collateral damage. Um, there were some sites, some that I was helping actually, that have nothing to do with product reviews. That's parts of their site surged during the update. And I'm like, what is going on here? So I immediately emailed them like, this probably won't last, but look at what's going on here. Um, and it took a while, but that was adjusted. Um, and I knew it would be, but they surged. So obviously, you know, I speak about algorithm tremors, basically after a major algorithm update, the engineers kind of fine tuning things. So they, it took a little bit, but they fine tuned it and that kind of came down. So just a really big update that kind of shook the web for a while. Lily, anything to add about Prue? Yeah, I mean, to Glenn's point, I think that it was almost like a precursor to a lot of what we saw for the next two core updates. Some sites that were impacted by the product review updates, again, saw those impacts either like exacerbated or reversed during the core updates. So it kind of seems like they were all tied together. Um, but one thing to Glenn's point about like seeing surges and then things coming back down or whatever, I've seen a lot of that as well with our clients for, um, you know, like 
it seems like Google's almost experimenting with what the intent is behind certain queries uh, and who should be able to rank for those intents. So as an example, if you're a B2B company that has a product page and your page used to, your, used to rank on page one for that transactional keyword, we saw examples where a bunch of third-party review sites started to rank on page one for a few weeks. And then things shifted back to you know the brands themselves ranking. So it feels like this, there's kind of this interplay between the people that provide the service and the people that are writing about the service that I think really was kicked into high gear during the product review update. Yeah, and actually on that note, uh, Lily brought up a great point. I mean, there was absolutely, there were absolutely sites that were impacted heavily during the product reviews update that were either cheering and going nuts or were down and then suddenly the June update comes and it completely reverses, right? Or reverses partially. So, um, and the other thing is that this Google Discover, which is super important for a lot of different sites, can, uh, can be uh, impacted during the product reviews update. Google came out and explained that. I have some uh, great examples in my blog post about that, where that's again, site level quality evaluation and saying, they're running that again and refreshing those algorithms probably during the product reviews update. So what you usually see during core updates, broad core updates was happening during the product reviews update. Sites that had never been in Discover surge into Discover. Sites that were doing well in Discover kind of drop out, um, which can have a, a big impact depending on how much Discover traffic you're getting. Yeah. So when you guys talk about these tremors, it seems like, especially when there's so many things happening at once, like it's got to be so hard to keep track of if it's a tremor from product review or if it's page experience, like that's just a lot for SEOs to deal with. Yeah, actually, it's that's an important point. So with the product reviews update, Danny Sullivan said it it requires, and I have to check with him. I should probably uh, ping him on, on Twitter about this, but um, that it requires a periodic refresh, right? So that's not, so it's not rolling. It would need a refresh like a core update or like Panda of the past in order for sites to see changes. But they also said that they weren't going to inform everybody. Right, so we would need to kind of pick that up and we could yeah. because there's lots of sites impacted and if you see a whole bunch of them really changing on one date, then maybe that happened. But um, John Mueller also said that the product reviews update, he could see that algorithm getting um, uh, moved into Google's core ranking algorithm. So if that's the case, then it'd be running all the time. So we'll, we'll have to rely on you guys to let us know. Yeah. Those little refreshes. <laughs> and one other note on tremors, um, I, I co-signed Tremors 1 and 2 with <laughs> Kevin you were gonna take it <laughs> and Fred Ward. I don't co-sign Tremor Shrieker Island. It's got the guy from Napoleon Dynamite on it, and that is a must-not watch because you get into the movie and you realize there is no actual the Tremor animal in it, and you're like, oh, they just didn't have any budget. So don't oh watch gosh. the last one, but the first two are great. So, I so feel basically, like yeah, basically it was like Halloween 3. I don't know if you know that, <laughs> but there was no Michael Myers in it. It was like, yeah. what? Yeah, right. not yeah. worth it. We need to write this down for later. We need a new SEO shirt that's like tremors in the style of the movie poster with Glenn and Lily. It's great for Halloween. <laughs> yeah, it's like I love it. Pole vaulting across rocks, getting chased by the update. <laughs> it's awesome. Okay, so from tremors to spam, everyone's favorite canned meat. This will be the last time I call on our man of the street here, but Greg, for those that do not listen to the marketing o'clock, can you tell us about the spam updates? Yes, as reported on the marketing o'clock, there's an update on July 26 that Google put out a blog post about, and they called it the link spam update. Glenn, I know you can add more to this, but essentially there was a post that went through um, the kind of how and why and what you should do with affiliate links, guest posts, sponsored posts, um, and how to have that proper disclosure, which is now recommended to be real sponsored. And again, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong on anything here. And the full update was completed on the 24th of August. So again, it's targeting any of those spammers or anybody that may be, again, I, it's called the spam update. I don't think an errant affiliate is technically a spammer. I think it's, some people make mistakes. It might be caught here, but it was targeting those links that were not disclosed. So Lily, going off of that, what do you think? Was this aggressive enough for the spammers? Was it too aggressive where some of those affiliate sites were being punished unjustly? I don't know that I saw an impact either way, to be honest. I mean, I think the, the article itself was more of the same guidance that they've given us for a long time. It just kind of doubled down on like using the correct attributes whenever you can, which is also still not required. It's just kind of a recommendation by Google. So to me, it almost felt like 
they really want that data. They really want webmasters to be adopting these new link attributes, which maybe they haven't yet because again, people Why would they? <laughs> people only make changes when there's ranking impacts involved. But uh, I don't know that I necessarily saw big changes in terms of website performance. Maybe you did, Glenn. Yeah, Glenn, did you see any winners or losers? Yeah, so, you know, first of all, Google coming out and explaining that they're kind of rolling out a link spam update when they're supposed to be handling everything already algorithmically, right? Which they are for the most part, right? They're doing a very good job. That told me right away that it's probably not going to impact a lot of sites, right? And the sites that it would impact wouldn't be mainstream sites, wouldn't be big affiliate sites who are really kind of handling things already. So I did pick up, you know, a number of sites that saw volatility, but not a ton and not really any that most people would be visiting on a regular basis. So, you know, it was, um, it's basically explaining that Google found loopholes that it wasn't handling algorithmically already and it closed those, that, that, those loopholes, right? And that's what they were doing. So again, I have some sites documented that definitely saw impact then, most dropping, a few surging, but the surging could have been because of the others dropping, um, but definitely was not something that I think most site owners would be aware of or even see impact from. Do either of you have any advice for any sites that were impacted by the spam updates? Stop violating Google's link for guidelines. I've been saying it my whole career. I've been saying it since the Penguin update, but like, I don't understand well, how many more times can you say it? Like, stop yeah. doing it. Google's smarter than you. Just stop. It's Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you've been impacted, there's nothing you could do. They're neutralizing the, the links, right? So there was a big update November 2019 that was way more impactful than the spam update. But, and it really digging into a lot of sites that were impacted, it really looked like Google just devalued a whole bunch of links that they should have been devaluing anyway, right? And sites that called me after getting hit, they're like, what can we do? And I'm like, there's nothing for you to do. You know, they devalued them. So just keep doing what you're doing and build stronger links over the long term. A lot of sites didn't like hearing that but there's really nothing you could do. You can go and disavow them, but they're already being de devalued. You know, like, why would you do that? So I think with um, the link spam updates specifically, not the other two spam updates, which is something different. Um, I think there's really not much you can do. And one other question on this, just in general, you know, when the rel sponsored came out, it was said that the no follow is is fine, keep things as is. And now it seems at least in in that update specifically sponsored was up there number one. And that is that something that we're recommending is to say everything that's affiliate, guest post, anything that I covered before should be now using RHEL sponsored, not just no follow. Or what are your thoughts on that? I mean, we recommend using sponsored or sponsored no follow like if it's a net new website build or something where like, it's not a lot of effort for the webmaster to implement that, but we don't necessarily go back retroactively and add sponsored for something that already has no follow on it. Cause we, again, we don't really see the impact of it aside from helping Google learn more about these links. Um, but yeah, for sure. Like if, if we're doing something new or we're starting a brand new project and we have resources to be able to implement accurate link attributes, then sure we use what Google recommends. Yeah, I mean, I would say, because I've helped a lot of review sites, um, a lot of sites already have the proper um, annotations in place, right? So they had no follow. You know, you could explain that sponsored may fit better, and some are actually making changes there, which is cool. What's interesting is I went back uh, before this uh, podcast and checked some of the sites that got hit by the link spam update, and several now have, you know, rel sponsored, right? So they, they actually went and made changes, and that's kind of what Google wants, right? They want to learn from it, you know, blah, blah, blah. So um, I don't think if you have no follow already, it's not like it's going to cause any, you know, major improvement. You already have what's there. But um, if you're going to do it, like Lily said, new site, or if you want to go back and do the right thing, you can use uh, rel sponsored and no follow together if you wanted to. Okay, so moving into our final little topic here. Lily, I don't want to trigger you, but another big thing that was happening in the SEO community this summer, and Lily was at the forefront, there was a whole lot of drama about what Google was using for web titles. So Lily spotted a change as to what they were pulling into the web titles. And then there were a bunch of people that were saying, this isn't new, this isn't new. They were doing it more. So first off, we were on the right side of history from the beginning, justice for Lily. <laughs> They've done it before, but they were doing it more. And that's exactly what she was saying. And Google has since come out and confirmed that they were. 
So Lily, can you talk a little bit about what you've seen with this change? Yeah. And I mean, so for context, that day that I first saw it, I think it was August 16th, Barry had already written about it. A lot of people had already flagged like, hey, my H1 tags are being used as my titles. And then a lot of other people were like, that's happened for a long time. Um, but I started to see with my clients like, oh, the anchor link from this part of the site's being used or the alt text is being used. So like, I never seen that stuff before. Of course, I've seen Google change titles, but I'd never seen it as dramatically as it happened on August 16th or 17th. So, and then they came out and said, yes, we made a change to our system. So I think they're still cleaning it up. I think that they're absolutely still iterating on what they launched. I personally think when they launched, they weren't ready because there was a lot of broken titles and things that didn't make sense. But it does appear to be the case that they're tweaking things. You know, they created the, the form where you can submit bad titles or anything that's problematic. So, and we're seeing for a lot of clients, like every day almost they're testing, like try the title, try the H1, kind of switching back and forth. So it seems like it's still rolling out, but. Personally, I think when they launched it, there were a lot of problematic impacts from that launch. Yeah. Did you guys want to get into that? Because I know Greg had some funny examples from the show. Do you guys have any of your favorite, most cringeworthy examples of them rewriting their web titles? I can start. And I covered I covered it on the September 10th show. But one of my favorites was somebody was searching for their Google My Business console and just typed in Google My Business. And what pulled in was just a generic... Google account login. And you can see that back on the 910 show where the, what, the web title that was pulled, the blue clickable link said, you know, Google account sign in. Nothing to do with um, my business at all. So sad. Yeah, there was a similar one that was the Google ads homepage in Canada. There was a little mock-up of a Google ad on that page. And there's a P tag that says, like a new approach to Canadian furniture. And that was literally like a mock-up of an ad. And that's what Google pulled in as the title. So it's like, how did that happen? Yeah, yeah I saw you know? I saw that one. That that one was pretty bad. That's yeah, a win like though you... if they don't say AdWords, right? That's a win. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> they still say that if you have to use web editors. So okay. I, I think I think Lily's right. I mean, Lily has documented a you know a ton of bad examples. And I think, I mean, she's definitely right. They they have been rolling out updates. It's definitely gotten better. I mean, the example I like to give just because it's it's close to home for me is they that you know, I had it was my uh, Google core updates and image search post, right? And it had the title tag. Then when the update rolled out, it actually moved to a better title. And they were pulling that from text on the page. So it wasn't a heading, wasn't anchor text. It was text on the page. It was great. Then when they pushed another update, they actually kind of broke it. And then it was like lowercase from anchor text from another one of my posts. And it was just, it wasn't bad. It was just wasn't great. And now if you go back, now it's the title tag. So they're, they're definitely improving things. There, there are a ton of examples of really bad, embarrassing titles. Yeah. Um, I think overall, it's probably not catastrophic for most sites, but there are some where it can really be problematic. But I, I don't think that they're going to roll it back. I really don't. But I will say if it's months in and it's still really problematic, they might. But I just think that they're going to keep iterating through uh, the algorithm and really try and enhance it. And, you know, they said 80% of the time they're using the title tag. Um, so maybe it gets to 85, <laughs> right? Or maybe 90%. And maybe they're just, you know, taking 10% of the time and maybe toning down where they're actually pulling it from. I don't know. Yeah. And at least, you know, they're being consistent with those cringy rewrites on Google domains. You know, at least it's not just affecting everyone else. Yeah, no, Google domains really been impacted. Like for yeah. looking for your account, like the Google account, sometimes it just says like your account, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's, it's just weird, but um, I don't know. Okay, I wanted to thank all of you so much for hopping on and chatting. And while I have two of the most notable SEOs in the update space and also Greg, I'd like to ask what your parting thoughts are for anyone out there listening, whether they were impacted or not by the changes this summer. So what would you tell them about surviving and thriving across future updates? I'll start with you, Greg. I mean, I'm just going to parrot what I say every week, essentially, is if you think like a search engine and think like what you'd want to display folks, that to me is always like at the at the crux of, of making, you know, uh, having good content that people like is sort of number one. Yeah, you don't want it to jump around on the page. Yeah, you want it to be fast. Um, but also don't go too far. You know, if you take every image off and people don't like the site, A, you're going to go out of business. And B, it's just not a good experience. The whole thing is like with these, it's about experience and making, getting better results. So just think about that as if you're a search engine and that's usually what we recommend. Love it. 
Any parting thoughts, Glenn? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, just understand that Google's looking at um, site quality overall over the long term. There's nothing that you can do in, in a short period of time that's going to make a huge change during broad core updates. And that you should really take a step back if you've been impacted, analyze the situation, run what I call a Delta report and understand the queries and landing pages that drop and objectively really start to look through the site and identify all the potential problems there. And then form a remediation plan, which I call the kitchen sink approach, which is trying to figure out all potential problems and fix as many as you can, and all of them if you can, which would be great. And then over the long term, keep continuing to uh, do the right things. And hopefully during a broad core update, you can either recover or surge more. Lily, any words of SEO wisdom for our listeners here? Yeah, I think uh, one of the main problems that we see consistently across sites that have been impacted is that they've been too reactionary to SEO advice for too long and they've they have baggage on their website because it's been maybe 10 years of writing content that's not great content because it ranks well for SEO. A lot of these strategies where things were kind of done haphazardly and not with a lot of like focused EAT or, or just, you know, high, like really focusing on content quality, you have to clean up that work on your site. So what we do a lot of with our clients is just making sure that anything that was done in the past that doesn't really, it's not consistent with what Google's looking for in terms of overall site-wide website quality now is cleaned up and you're really just putting your best foot forward with the pages that you are indexing on Google. So, you know, make sure that you're not just continuing to churn out strategies that maybe worked five or 10 years ago, but aren't working for you anymore. Awesome. And on that note, I want to thank you again, Greg, Lily, and Glenn for joining me for today's discussion. Greg Finn is a partner at Cypress North, our full service digital agency. You can also catch him on Marketing O'Clock Fridays with me. Greg, where can people get in touch with you? Well, the real thing people should get in touch with is Glenn and Lily. They have such phenomenal information for any of the updates. Follow them on Twitter, uh, put Amps of Digital and G Squared Interactive in your RSS feeders. If you want any information, check it out there. And then obviously we'll report on everything they write, but don't miss them. They're the go-tos for this. And as a community, we all thank you so much for the work that you do in breaking all this down. It is much appreciated. Absolutely. And Glenn Gabe is an SEO consultant at G Squared Interactive. You can also check out his site for some of the best SEO articles out there. That is gsqi.com. Glenn, where can people get in touch with you? Yeah, definitely uh, on Twitter. I'm heavily on Twitter, LinkedIn, and uh, my Facebook page. But on Twitter, it's uh, Glenn Gabe, all is one word. That's probably the best place. And Lily Ray is a senior director of SEO and head of organic research at Amsev Digital. She is also an amazing writer, and you can find her must-read marketing articles and extensive research at amsevdigital.com. Lily, where can people get in touch with you to talk about SEO? Twitter is the best place. It's uh, Lily Ray NYC. Awesome. And if you're looking for more digital marketing news and a lot of really bad funds, please be sure to subscribe to our show. We release new episodes with Jess Budd, Mark Saltarelli every Friday, in addition to these special roundtable episodes. So thank you guys. And we will see you next month. Thanks for having us. Great. Thank you.